Hello, welcome to Solomon's Temple. In this episode, I'm going to talk about Putnam's meaning and reference. I just did a quick analysis on it, and I thought I, I would just share that. So in the article Meaning and Reference, uh, Hilary Putnam argues that the traditional theory of meaning is based on two misguided premises that are unable to withstand against careful scrutiny. In developing his point, Putnam proposes a series of thought experiments that there is a twin earth with which he is able to demonstrate this logical in inconsistency. Putnam refers to Kripke's notion of a rigid designator and extends this definition to substance name or naming substances. In this way, the term water or pots and pans becomes rigid, limiting the use of the term water to refer to water understood as H2O. In light of this given argument, Putnam concludes that the current theory of meaning is insufficient and requires revision. So in my critique of this, I will consider ways in which the author's views might be reasonably criticized. I will then attempt to strengthen Putnam's position by suggesting ways in which the criticisms might be met. Although the author faces the possibility of criticism, I conclude that his objections to the assumptions of one and two in the theory of meaning are nonetheless highly compelling and should encourage further investigation. So in summary, Putnam argues that the traditional theory of meaning rests on two unchallenged and misguided assumptions. One, that knowing the meaning of a term is just a matter of being in a certain physiological state. And two, that the meaning of a term determines its extension or the set of things that the term extends to. As we shall see, neither of the two premises is able to withstand careful scrutiny. So for the purpose of addressing premise one, which was meaning of a term is just a matter of being in a certain psychological state. I mentioned earlier physiological, it's psychological. So that knowing the meaning of a term is just a matter of being in a certain psychological state. So. For the purpose of addressing premise one, Putnam constructs a twin Earth thought experiment, supposing that somewhere in the universe there exists a planet that is identical to planet Earth in almost every way. These similarities can be taken as far as the, the reader wishes. So in fact, suppose that on, on this twin Earth there lives a doppelganger for every resident on Earth. Suppose further that some of these twin Earthians, say the ones that call themselves Canadians or Americans and so forth, speak English. One of the peculiarities of twin Earth is that the liquid called water is not H2O, but a different liquid known as XYZ. For all intents and purposes, this liquid is indistinguishable from H2O. On twin Earth, XYZ not H2O, fills the oceans and seas, rains from the sky, and hydrates the twin Earthians. Where an Earthian spaceship to visit twin Earth, the Earthlings would suppose that water has the same meaning. On twin Earth, as it does on Earth, so far so good. But in the example thus presented, there is no problem about the extension of term water. It simply has two different meanings. The problem, Putnam argues, comes when we turn the, the clocks back to the year 1750. At this point in time, the typical Earthian and twin Earthian did not know that water referred to H2O or XYZ. There is no belief that Earth Jane had about water that twin Earth Jane did not also have. However, the extension of water was as much H2O on Earth in 1750 as it was XYZ on Twin Earth in 1750. Although Jane E, Jane Earth, and Jane T E, Twin Earth, shared the same psychological state, 
they understood water differently. Therefore, it cannot be the case that knowing the meaning of a term is just a matter of being in a certain psychological state. In order to proceed further with this argument, Putnam changes his thought experiment. Suppose that the average person is unable to distinguish molybdenum pots and pans from aluminum pots and pans. Assume that aluminum pots and pans on twin earth are actually made of this material polyabdum. Finally, suppose that the terms polyabdum and aluminum are switched on twin earth and that the opposite is true on earth. In this example, Jane of Earth means aluminum when she says aluminum, while Jane on twin earth means molybdenum when she says aluminum. Given that neither Jane Earth nor Jane twin earth knows enough about metallurgy to realize the difference, they again share in the same psychological state. Once again, we can conclude that it is not the individual psychological state that determines a term's extension. Rather, Putnam proposes it is the sociolinguistic state of the collective linguistic body to which the speaker belongs that fixes the extension. This division of labor allows for the collective body to share the burden of knowing and employing the many parts of the meaning of terms. In the conclusions of each of the two experiments above are correct, then one might hold that water is H2O in all possible worlds. If we extend Kripke's notion of a rigid designator to substance names, then we give an ostensive definition to the term water, and it thus becomes rigid. Water on twin earth, then, is not water. Although it satisfies the description of water, it is not made up of the same substance that water consists of. Putnam concludes that a better theory of meaning is needed one that encompasses the considerations that have been visited here. My critique is, while I find the author's objections to the two assumptions of the tradition theory of meaning highly compelling, it should be acknowledged that certain criticisms might be made about the thought experiments employed in Putnam's argument. I will begin by considering possible challenges for the twin earth thought experiment. It might be argued that the term water for Jane Earth and Jane Twin Earth might sufficiently refer to something that is water-like. That is, suppose the extension of the term water includes a set of substances that fills the oceans and seas, rains from the sky, hydrates the twin Earthians and the Earthians alike, and etc. It would appear then that water need not become rigid, as Putnam suggested, in such a way that restricts its definition to H2O. In this case, water would refer to both H2O and XYZ as members of a set, as well as any other like substance in the universe. Consider this to be a reasonable objection to Putnam's thought experiment that appears, at least a posteriori, to undermine certain aspects of the twin earth argument. Another objection that one might give is that Putnam's thought experiment is set up in a way that guides a reader to a particular conclusion, namely that the earth Jane and the twin earth Jane are identical in every way, appearance, cultural background, upbringing, employment, so on, and thereby share the same psychological states that refer to water. Because a twin earth thought experiment focuses around a possible world and not an actual one. It may be that Putnam's example presents too general of an example, an unreliable presupposition that allows for the possibility of leading our intuitions astray. Putnam might respond that possible worlds arguments have been widely and successfully used in analytic philosophy. The twin earth does not need to represent an actual world in order to bring about the effect that Putnam is attempting to make, it is sufficient that Twin Earth be entirely possible. In knowing the meaning of a term and what you mean by when you say water, that you can identically 
determine that you're both referring psychologically to water to know where your meaning rests, where your linguistic meaning rests. And that in your meaning of the term, having it determine your extension, you wouldn't see that there would be anything missing between the psychological makeup and state of meaning versus what actually consists in the extension of things that it is involved with, even if they are different. So that what we mean by things can be two different things, but they could share one singular meaning and can be made up of certain psychological states. But among two different actual worlds, in which there's no distinction between what there is, would still then be a difference of matter in which all the things within our meaning and what we refer to are aligning, but that its extension is changed. So there is a certain amount of reality that is true and identical, but underneath, through its own reality that we can't distinguish, there is a discernible property in its extension, and that what we call to things meaning and referring to in the same way psychologically can occur, but that doesn't mean that the extension of its reality is necessarily the same, or made the same way. And so, within this thought process, we have a reference to something that, on the outside, two observers are going to share psychological meaning about the thing itself, but the consistency and extension of the two observers to generate the same psychological meaning in the term that's referred is still going to have a different number of extensions that go into the same reality, and some of which would disagree to what extensions exist to make that reality what it is. So psychologically, they would be on different extensional terms but that does not mean that they didn't derive the same referent and the same conclusion about what they mean when they have a particular term in mind. If I were to say that certain kinds of music make me happy, I'm saying that happiness in my psychological state refers to everything in the extension of the music. Now you might agree with the utterance and say the exact same thing and have the same meaning. Yeah, I'm happy when I hear certain kinds of music. But that doesn't mean that even if you hear the same sound, the same sounds, or the same music, that it necess necessarily means that you're interpreting and feeling the music the same way or have the same ideas about it. And it also means that your happiness, even though you agree psychologically what it means, the happiness element is going to mean different things because of the extent to which it has reference to a whole sociolinguistic body of information, rather than strictly being a part of just a certain psychological assumption. Happy. Music. Music makes me happy. The meaning of the term happy is going to be determined by its extension. By the term's extension of happy, what brings on happy will be a part of determining a, physio uh, a psychological state. But it is more than this, because we know that certain things will be of difference or will be of a certain kind to a certain extent based on an individual's psychological state that is a part of what it is within the collective linguistic body in which you belong that will fix the extension. Some people might not be happy being in a place, well, I wish X, Y, and Z were different, because I might as well be, and that will make it a lot better. While me over here, am just happy to be here. I am happy that this even exists at all. I am grateful for the fact that I'm here right now, 
And I don't even know why your psychological premise has to rest on your own assumptions and why you need to change what it means to psychologically enjoy what is happening here unless you force some extension to the same basic foundation of understanding, just the state of the socio-reality around that's contained in your meaning and what you can utter, and there's a collective body in that, and that fixes the extension to which you gather what you refer to when you mean some things make you happy, and if you're not within that extension, it can change. So... People's meanings do not have to represent an actual state of things to bring about an effect that we're trying to make with the extension of what exists in our linguistic power when it comes to referring to things. So people typically reject meaning simply because it appears different than what they refer to their meaning of happiness is at a time, and that would not change the fact of it being identical in meaning psychologically. Well, I hope this didn't make sense to you, because it certainly sort of did to me. Uh, philosophy of language. That was Hillary Putnam. I did that analysis back in 2018 when I was in my last semester of college, and I sort of just wrote off that analysis there. It's about a thousand words. I think I probably got a B on it or something. That doesn't matter. Philosophy is really hard sometimes. So I don't know why I haven't done more philosophy of language, but there's going to definitely going to be some more coming down the pipe. I just got to get a hold of some good literature. So yeah, and that's it for that one. I'll see you next time.